Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Now, as we come to our passage for this morning, I want to begin with the most important truth that we will see revealed in this text. Really, the most important thing that I want you to receive from this sermon this morning. It's not always good to give away the biggest point at the beginning of the sermon, right? And so I'm just telling you right now, I want you to listen to the whole thing. I want you to check out, but this is so important to the concept of joy and to what we see in John 16 that I don't want to wait till the end. And here it is. Full, true, and lasting joy is found in the presence of Christ alone. The joy that your heart desires is found in Christ alone. Now, that's not to say you cannot find joy in other things. That you cannot experience joy in your family or in success at work or in school. There are all sorts of places that you can find aspects of joy in this world. Nevertheless, all of these are either momentary or they're shallow or sometimes they are even false sources of joy. What your heart is truly longing for, the true joy that you desire can only be found in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 16.11 explains this. In your presence, speaking to the Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you see that? Full joy. Eternal joy. These are found in the very presence of God. And Christ, as God with us, as Emmanuel, is the means by which we come to experience this fullness of joy that is promised in Psalm 16. Now, in saying this, I am assuming that you want to experience joy. That this is a part of our human nature. That it is the way that God has created us. It is, in a very real way, our purpose for existing. That is, to be joyful. We, again, turn to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. In question number one, that many of us know and we've heard time and again, we have this question, what is the chief end of man? Why were we created? What is our purpose? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, a lot of times we just put our main focus on the first aspect of that answer. We were created to glorify God and of course that is true and that is of utmost importance but we cannot miss the second aspect as though it's just an appendix that's added to the end of it and whether we enjoy god or not it doesn't really matter 
You see, we live out the highest purpose of our life when we are joyful. When we are filled with pleasure and fulfillment and happiness. You see, we could define joy as the feeling that we experience when we're doing the very thing we were designed to do. That, that feeling that you have of joy, that comes to you when you are doing what God has created you to do. And so if an axe could feel joy, it would feel joy when it was chopping wood. Right? If a car could feel joy, it would feel joy when it was driving you to church on Sunday morning. If an oven could feel joy, it would feel joy when it was baking Christmas cookies. And human beings feel joy when we are in the presence of God glorifying Him. That is why it feels so good to be joyful. Because it is what you were created to be and to do. Now the catechism has more to teach us about joy. As it comes to the end of the section on redemption, it asks another question. It says, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And the answer says, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory, when, we're, when death is defeated, will be raised up in glory, openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, will be shown to be fully received by God. And then it says, and we will be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. You see, joy is what we were created to experience, and joy is our ultimate end. For those who are in Christ, this is where we are headed, an eternal existence in which we will do what we were created to do and feel what we were created to feel. Namely, we will glorify God and we will enjoy God forever. And yet we need to come back to everyday life. We are created to enjoy God. We will eternally enjoy God, but what about everything in between? What about all the living that happens now? What about the sorrow and the loss and the pain and the mourning that we have between creation and consummation when Christ returns? How do we as believers experience joy presently? Because there seems to be plenty of temporary, fleeting joy that is offered by this world. But how are we to know true joy in a world that is still filled with so much sorrow and where God seems to be so far away? Let us turn our attention now and hear the word of the Lord, the Gospel of John. Chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. The Lord Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? 
We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him now in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time, this season of Advent in which we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, and in the season when we look forward to his coming again. We stand upon the promises of your word Lord Jesus, in which you say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, so too am I there. And so we believe that your presence is among us. And we call out to you that by the power of your spirit, that we might know and we might feel your presence. And we might experience the joy that is promised here in your word. And we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. It is a tradition in the Weber household that on Christmas morning, April will make cinnamon rolls for breakfast. Now, she begins the night before because she makes these homemade, right? It isn't this, uh, you know, Pillsbury one that comes in the pop can. Like, these are real cinnamon rolls. And so she begins the night before and prepares the dough and rolls it out. She adds the cinnamon and sugar and letting it rise as that yeasty, bready smell fills the house on Christmas Eve night. And then in the morning, she bakes them so that Christmas morning, as we're opening up our presents, is filled with this aroma of buttery, sweet baking cinnamon rolls. I know it's getting close to lunch, so I'm sorry. It's one of my favorite experiences just to smell them baking. And especially if I get up early enough to put on a pot of coffee that brews while these are baking so that the whole house smells like a bakery or a cafe. The smell is almost as good, almost as good as eating them. To enjoy beforehand this anticipation of what is coming. Now, why do I share this? Well, in our passage, Jesus is explaining that the nature of his presence with his people will be analogous to this experience of receiving a foretaste 
of what is to come. That is to say, those who know and follow Jesus Christ experience His presence with them in what we call an already not yet manner. We will know Him and feel His presence with us, but we have to wait for the future to know the fullness of His presence with us. He explains in verse 16, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Now as we just read, the disciples were perplexed by Jesus' words here, right? They didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't know what he meant when he said that in a little while he was going, but in a little while he has come back, and they don't know where the going is and where the coming is and what the little while means. And so Jesus, realizing this, begins to explain to them what it is that he meant. Now, we who are on the other side of the cross... We understand what he meant. He was saying, shortly I'm going to offer myself upon the cross. But then, after I die, three days later, I will come back to you. Yet we also understand even more than the death and resurrection as the going and coming of Christ. We know that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, left again, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father 40 days later, but that he returned provisionally when the disciples received the gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. However, the church continues to wait and to long for the second coming of Christ. This going and coming is indicative of the current nature of Christ's presence with His people. He is present, but we must await His full presence. We have the first fruits, but we're waiting for the fullness of what is to come. At Advent, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but we look forward to the return of Christ. Or as the Apostle Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And if you would know true joy in the presence of Christ, you must first understand this coming and going nature of Christ's presence. You must understand that currently, those who are in Christ have received a foretaste. But the joy we seek is future-oriented. It is a joy that is coming. And so we have to hold these two truths in tension That we already have and know the joy of Christ's presence among us, but we wait and we long and we have sorrow until our joy will appear at His second coming. You need to understand this because your joy, Christian, isn't complete yet. As Jesus says in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, But your sorrow will turn into joy. This is how we currently experience the presence of Christ in our lives and the subsequent joy that we have in Him. We know Him by the Word and by the Spirit. 
In the Word of God, we encounter Christ. We hear His promises to us. We learn of His work. We hear His words. By the Spirit, we receive Christ. The Spirit given to us is God Himself proceeding from the Father and the Son. And when He comes to live within your heart through faith, He brings to you the fullness of the presence of God that you might know joy. This is the greatest blessing that this world has to offer. The presence of Christ in your heart by the Spirit. To know that you are in union with Christ and that there is nothing that can separate you from Him. Nevertheless, What we experience now in our most profound encounters with Christ are but a few drops of the drink that we will have to come. It is but a taste. It is just the aroma of the baking cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. It is but a darkened mirror. And one day, Christ will appear in His glory and we will know Him in His fullness. And we will finally see Him face to face and all of the sorrow of this world will turn to joy. Even as Jesus promised. Now I know that there are many of you who struggle to be joyful. You desire joy. You long for joy. And yet the world has taken from you so much. And you wonder, will I ever be joyful? Will there ever be fullness of joy in my life? Am I a faithful Christian if I'm supposed to be joyful and yet I feel so little joy? Should I not be more joyful? Two words of encouragement. First, there is joy for you in this life. So continue to pursue it in the presence of Christ. Continue to pursue Christ in His Word. Continue to pursue the promise of His Spirit in your life. Go to Him in prayer. Come to Him in corporate worship. Receive Him in the sacrament because there is joy to be had in the presence of Christ. But second, as much as there is joy in this world, this is a time of waiting. Christ has us. He holds us. He will not let us go. But we are still a waiting people. And sometimes the smelling and the tasting are nice, but other times it just makes us hungrier for what is to come. It just whets our appetite. We know Jesus. We've tasted the joy that He has, but we have so much hardship in our life that we long for more of Him. And if you would pursue your joy in Christ, You must understand that this is the nature of His presence. He is already with us, so we rejoice, yet He is still to come, so we wait and we yearn and we have sorrow until the day that we see Him face to face. Jesus continues to explain the nature of His presence with His disciples with an analogy. Look down at verses 21 through 22. There he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice 
and no one will take your joy from you. Now in this analogy, it's important for us to note that Jesus doesn't say that the pain and the sorrow that we experience are just merely to be endured. That we are just in a waiting period, waiting so that this pain will no longer be with us. Waiting for a ringing to stop going on and on and on. Somebody would stop that. If you don't think it's you, just check and see if it's you. Because it might be you. We'll all have joy when it's over. Yeah, all right, very good. (laughs) I just have to share, there's no shame. One Christmas Eve, I was preaching and I was a little, you know, Christmas Eve is a little bit different, you know, and so I accidentally had my phone in my pocket. In the middle of my sermon, my phone starts ringing and it was the Indiana Jones theme And of course, it was my mother-in-law calling to see how my Christmas was going, and it was going great until there. All right, let's pull it back. So, there's this analogy, all right? The analogy of giving birth. And the analogy doesn't just teach us that we are enduring this pain, rather that this pain is endured with a point. There is a purpose behind the pain. The sorrow of this world is a part of the process of bringing about the joy that is to come. The pain of childbirth is a productive pain. As one wise nurse told April, each contraction is one less to endure and one closer to having your baby. Right? The pain is actually accomplishing something. And Paul uses the same metaphor in Romans 8 to speak of the return of Christ. He explains that the whole creation groans in the pains of childbirth as it awaits Christ's return. But it is not only creation. As he says in verse 23, but we ourselves, okay, Christians, We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Think foretaste. Already not yet. We, We have the first fruits of the Spirit in the presence of Christ with us. Yet we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. To pursue our joy in the presence of Christ, we must experience the sorrow of His absence now. We must groan inwardly. We must wait eagerly. We must hunger and thirst. We must weep and mourn. We must willingly shoulder the burden of following Christ presently and the pain of bearing our cross in this world knowing that it has meaning and that it has purpose. That is not to say that I or anyone else can give you an easy explanation for why you have experienced a particular hardship or loss in your life. 
We don't need to just hand out these empty platitudes saying, oh, it, you know, of course it has meaning, it has purpose. No, that's not what we're saying. Rather, we're saying that you can follow Christ in faith through the hardships of this life, not knowing their specific purpose, but having faith to know that they do have purpose, that they do have meaning. And so much of our modern culture is based upon the avoidance of pain. And if pain can't be avoided, at least to numb the pain away. And so people have begun to opt out of some of the most difficult ventures of life. This was happening prior to COVID, but COVID and all that came with it has accelerated this trend at a statistically significant level. People are opting out of work. They're opting out of marriage. They're opting out of having children. And they're opting out of church membership and weekly attendance. Why? Well, it doesn't sound very romantic, but it's because these things are hard. It's because there is pain that is involved in entering into these works. But these are the very foundations of why it is that you were created. In Genesis 1, we see that we were created in the image of God to worship God. That we were created to be fruitful and multiply within marriages. We were created to subdue the earth and to work the earth. But then in Genesis 3, we see how sin has affected these things. And we see this threefold curse come about in Genesis 3. The first being that there is a struggle to worship God. As there is this struggle, as we talked about last week, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. We see that there is going to be pain in childbirth and conflict within the family between husband and wife. And we see that the work that we are called to do will be infested with thorns and thistles as we go out and do them. Sin has infected the very things that bring us joy. The very things that we were created to do. They'll be infused with hardship and pain because of sin. But these are still the things that we were called to do and therefore we must shoulder the burden of these things because it is through engaging in them that we receive the joy that we were created to live in. There is purpose and there is fulfillment in the hardship. The path of joy, we need to get this, the path to joy is not to avoid sorrow, but it is to enter into what God has called us to do, to take up our cross, to lose our life that we might gain our life in Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews gives us the ultimate example of this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do what God has called us to do, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. You see, Jesus endured the cross for joy. The the cross wasn't pleasant. The cross was a curse. But because of sin, the cross was necessary. It was Jesus' desire to save a people. 
It was His desire to free His people from their sin. It was His desire that God would be glorified in the redemption of a people and that we might be reconciled to God and brought into His presence that we might be freed to fully enjoy and glorify God forever. And so because of the joy that would come from the cross, he shouldered the cross, he endured the cross, he suffered on our behalf, he bled for us, he died for us, so that he might have the joy of his Father being glorified. And whatever pain or sorrow that you are enduring now, if you are in Christ, it has meaning And it has purpose. It is accomplishing God's design and His design to prepare you for the full enjoyment of His glory for all eternity. And so if we would have joy now, we must know that the sorrow is a part of God's plan for the joy that is to come. You see, if we would know the joy of Christ's coming, we first must know the nature of His current presence with us. Second, we must experience the sorrow of Christ's current absence from us. And the third thing we see in our text is that we must pray for the joy of Christ's future coming. In verses 23-24, through Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, we need to understand how Jesus is framing prayer within the flow of redemptive history. The first thing he says is that there is a day when we will no longer pray. We will rejoice, we will praise, we will glorify But on the day of Christ's return, when we are blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity, we're not going to need to pray for anything else. There will be nothing lacking in the full enjoying of God. You're not going to be disappointed in the joy that is coming. You're not going to be like, eh, eternal bliss? What else you got, God? Give me something else. In that day, you're not going to need to ask for anything. The next thing we see is that up until this point, the people of God were not praying in the name of Jesus Christ. They were praying through the mediation of the high priest. They were calling out to God on the basis of the blood of the sacrifice bulls and goats. They were trusting in the intercession of Aaron's descendants as the high priest. But once Jesus died upon the cross, all of those promises were fulfilled and all the shadows met their reality. And now the true people of God call out to him in prayer through the merit and mediation of Jesus Christ alone. And so then, what does this teach us about knowing full joy now? Well, it means that as we pursue our joy, we pursue it based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And we call out in His name, not saying, God, I've earned fullness of joy. Oh God, I deserve to be filled with all fullness and pleasure. No, we go to Him through Christ 
And we say, because of what Christ has done, because Christ has obeyed, because Christ has fulfilled the law, because Christ has died, because Christ has risen, because Christ will come again. Therefore, O God, hear our prayer. You see, as we pray, what we are doing is we are calling into the present a greater taste of what the future holds for us. We call out to God, asking Him to give to us the blessing of what is to come. To use the silly analogy that I've been using over and over again. It's like asking that I might have a little taste of the cream cheese frosting that goes on to the cinnamon rolls before they're done. When we pray, we call out to God and say, Thy kingdom come. Bring into my life now just a further taste of the fullness that is going to come. And therefore, Jesus can say, whatever you ask in my name, you will receive. Because to ask in his name isn't like saying, please, 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 I want an iPhone. No, it's going to God and saying, oh, Lord, of the eternal joy and fulfillment that has been won for me in Christ. Let me taste a little bit more of it now. And ultimately, every prayer that you ask in Christ will be fulfilled because you will have the fullness of joy that is given to you in Christ. Our opening hymn for this morning declares, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And it would be difficult to more concisely articulate how we come to know true joy. We experience joy when the Lord comes because in His presence there is fullness of joy. And so this Christmas, know the joy of Emmanuel, God with us. And in faith, look to the day when Christ will come again and all who are in Him will taste full, true, and everlasting joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we confess. Lord, like the disciples so often, we are confused, we're perplexed, we don't understand. We thank you for the truth of your word and the light that shines. And we pray, O oh Lord, that this light would teach us of your presence. And though we walk through this world with sorrow, that we would have the joy of Christ and that we would have the faith and the hope to know that one day this sorrow will pass away and that we will be fully blessed as we enjoy you for all eternity as we were created to do. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.